1 Corinthians. Here's what I'd like you to do today. We're in this series on the essentials of our faith. What is indispensable? What is necessary? What are, are the basic elements of our faith? And we're, we're viewing a lot of the passages at the end of the New Testament letters. But what I'd like you to do today is, besides turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, which is the last chapter of 1 Corinthians, I'd also like you to uh, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 as well, because we're going to quickly go there and then come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, where we're going to be looking at this morning. And before we get to chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, I want to say this as the pastor of the church as well. I love the spirit that we have in this church. I love the unity that we have in this church. I love the harmony that we have here. A lot of churches don't have that. Uh, I love that when I hear visitors or new people come to our church, one of the things that they say right away is, you can, you can sense and feel the love and the warmth and the caring that you all have for one another. And, and that, I just love that. I, I think that's the way the body of Christ and local churches should be. And so I say that up front to say, look, even though the church at Corinth was in a different place and I believe where we are right now, I still think this message is very relevant to us because we may be in a, a season of harmony and, and peace amongst ourselves and all of that, but we also have to be aware of this. That at any time, that can change. And we always, as believers in Jesus Christ and part of his body, have to, to be you know, careful to, to maintain that peace and that harmony that we have with each other. Which means we have to learn to be long-fused with each other. We have to learn to keep short accounts with each other. We have to learn to forgive one another and to work through things together and to get over things and be able to move on. Because if we don't do that, then there can begin to be rifts and strifes and divisions and all of that. And this is what Paul is talking about. In fact, this is why I wanted to go to chapter 1 first, because the reason why Paul says what he does at the end of this chapter, dealing with an essential of our faith, is because of what he says up front in the chapter. And so I'd like you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verses 10 and 11, where Paul says here, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to agree together to end your divisions and to be united by the same mind and purpose. For members of Chloe's household have made it clear to me, my brothers and sisters, that there are quarrels among you. The main reason why Paul wrote the book of 1 Corinthians was to address these issues. The church at Corinth was a gifted church. It was a church filled with people who had all these skills and abilities and talents and everything else. And they were a very gifted church. But as we can see here, they weren't a very unified church. They weren't a church that was filled with harmony and, and peace and all of that. They had started to fight with each other a long time ago. And that fighting with each other had caused their own testimony and witness for Christ in their own community to be diminished. 
In fact, instead of them impacting the world around them, the world had gotten into the church and they were more like people who don't know God than people who did know God. And Paul says, we've got to talk about some things. In fact, I was thinking about that even as far as, you know, we use the term a lot, obviously, through military of of the term friendly fire. And friendly fire is usually when tragically someone you know, gets shot, maybe even injured, maybe even uh, killed by one of their own. And the reason that happens is because we misidentified our target. That's what always happens in a case of friendly fire. We think that somehow they aren't on our side, they're on the other side. And so we fire at them. And sad to say, that same dynamic happens within the body of Christ uh, and has for centuries. Where instead of realizing that we have a common enemy and common enemies, that we are to come together as God's people and attack together and fight together, we start misidentifying our target and we start firing on each other. And we start fighting amongst each other instead of fighting who the real enemy is. And Paul even said to the Ephesians, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. If we somehow think our struggle is against other human beings, we're wrong because there are spiritual forces out there that's causing that to happen, but that's not where God wants us to direct our attention and our focus. And so that's what was happening in Corinth. That's why I'm not going to take the time this morning, but you can read it for yourself. That's why in the first nine verses of the first chapter, in every verse of the first nine verses of of 1 Corinthians, he mentions Jesus Christ. Nowhere else in any other New Testament letter do you have such a mention in every verse of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet in the first nine verses, before he starts talking about divisions and all of this in the church, he does it. And I think he does that very purposefully. Because he wants to get the Corinthians' attention off of themselves and focused on Jesus Christ. That's the only remedy. That's the only cure for what's happening in the church at Corinth. Is they've got to get their focus off of themselves and get it back on to Jesus Christ. Well, with that said, then I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. This morning, it is the last portion of the letter to first Corinthians and what Paul is about to say to the Corinthians in dealing with an essentials of our faith is all based on what we've just talked about from chapter one. That's why in this passage of scripture, you will see much language that is military. Uh, it comes from, from using military language of Paul's day and Paul takes that language and uses it now to apply to brothers and sisters in Christ, in Corinth. Reason being because Paul wants them to be reminded that as Christians, we are fellow soldiers with each other. We are fellow combatants with each other and we have a common enemy. And instead of fighting each other, we need to learn to fight who the real enemy is. That's why many times the New Testament talks to us as Christians, as soldiers. But he also here not only uses the language of the military in talking to us as fellow combatants, he also uses the language of family. He talks to us as a family. 
and reminds us that we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, are part of the same spiritual family. And then he uses a lot of language of friendship here. So fellow combatants, family, and friendship. This is the the language that Paul is using here at the end because, again, he wants to remind them of the relationships that we have with each other and the responsibility that we have toward each other and how we need to be in this together, if you will, and not begin to fight amongst one another to where then our force is divided, where we misidentify the target and start shooting, in a sense, each other rather than joining forces and putting our force behind the common enemy. This is why then beginning in verse 13, notice five sort of quick things that Paul says here to the Corinthians. The first one is stay alert. Again, a word mostly used for military. It means to stay awake, to stay vigilant, to stay watchful. That there are things we need to watch out for. It pictures that soldier at their post. And, and that other soldiers and, and their lives are, are in, in my hands. And therefore, I'm responsible to stay awake, stay vigilant, stay watchful. But this word also means to take responsibility. And Paul's reminding us of that as well. What is our responsibility in the body of Christ? Paul says, stay alert to that. Then next he says, stand firm in the faith. These words speak of holding one's ground, of again, militarily, not giving any ground into the enemy. Hold your ground. And obviously the definite article, the, in front of faith, is not talking here about the act of believing in God or trusting in Him. It's talking about our commitment to God's Word and God's will. Because we know that the Bible is under attack. And the Bible has always been under attack. And that's why we are called as fellow believers to stand firm in our faith, to hold our ground when it comes to what we believe and what God has revealed, his truth in the word of God. Then he says next, show courage. Now in our English, we understand courage as as bravery. And that's certainly a part of what this means. It means to be brave and to be courageous. And God is calling us as his people to stand up and be courageous and to be brave. But it also has another important meaning. It means to act mature. It means to act our, our, you know, like adults. In other words, Paul's basically saying to the Corinthians, stop being so childish. Stop, stop acting like children. Children are the ones that, you know, oh, you took my toy and now I don't like you and I'm, I'm going to get upset and take my stuff and go home and all of that kind of mentality. And Paul's saying, that's the way you're acting in Corinth. You're acting like little children. You're adults. Act like it, Paul says. Be a man. Be a woman of God. Start acting like it, Paul says. Then he says, be strong. This word means to increase or grow in strength in order to prevail. Talk about that in a moment, but I want to go back to that increasing or growing in spiritual inner strength. That's our responsibility. Yes, God can make us strong. 
As Paul said to the Philippians, I can get to a place where I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But I've got to be willing to put myself in an environment in a place where I am increasing and growing in spiritual strength every day. And that's on us. That's part of the reason why I started this daily blog in 2015 to try to get people to see the importance of the cumulative effect of growing strong and doing something consistent in our spiritual life every day. That over time, that extra strength and increase in strength and growing in strength will come through us just walking as disciples every day. Are you in a position right now? Are you placing yourself in a place where you can increase and grow stronger as a Christian? That should be a top priority to all of us as Christians. In order to prevail, God wants to give us extra strength and continue to increase our strength and grow in strength so that we can prevail, so that we can overcome, so that we can conquer instead of being defeated Christians. That's why in the book of Revelation, Jesus talks a lot to the churches there about to those who overcome. That's why Paul says to the Romans in Romans 8, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's why they use this language in the New Testament because God wants us all to be in a place where we are continually growing stronger, increasing in that inner spiritual strength so that no matter what is pressing against us from an outward point of view, whatever pressures we're we're under, From the outside, whatever is pressing against us, we have that internal strength through Christ to be able to push against it and not allow it to crush us or defeat us. And then he says, everything you do should be done in love. He's saying to the church, everything that we do should be born out of Christ-like love. Which is why earlier on in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul spends a whole chapter on love. 1 Corinthians 13. And Paul says to the Corinthians, if you doubt what the character of love is, or if you don't know what the character of love is, he says, read verses 4 through 7 of 1 Corinthians 13. Study verses 4 through 7 of 1 Corinthians 13. And you will know what Christ-like love is all about. So Paul's already talked to them about love. He's already devoted a whole chapter in this letter to them about love. And then he ends by saying, everything you do as a Christian should always be motivated, born out of Christ-like love. And he said, if if you guys do that in Corinth, if we continue to do that here in Chandler, Arizona, then we won't end up like the Corinthian church in chapter 1. Where Paul called them out and said, this is not the way the spiritual family of God is to be acting. This is not the way we as brothers and sisters in Christ are to be portraying ourselves to the world. In fact, it amazes me even today when you have so many people who don't think that the local church and being part of of a local church family and really invested in that that's not the thing anymore. So many Christians are like, yeah, I can just live my Christian life by myself. We're going to talk more about that. But it amazes me how Christians think I can get closer to Jesus, the head of the church, 
but somehow I can keep my distance from the church, his body. Now think about that. The church is called the body of Christ. How can I as a Christian claim that I'm getting closer to the head of the body, but further away from the body? And yet many Christians today, that's their outlook on the church. I can get closer and closer to Jesus, but I don't need to get closer and closer to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, that's not biblical. In fact, that's not even logical when you think about it, especially using the metaphor of the head and the body. If Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and we as his people are the body, then there's no way that any of us can get closer to the head without also drawing closer to the body. See, just the opposite is true. When you and I as Christians are drawing closer to Jesus, Jesus will also be drawing us closer to one another. That's what will happen, not the opposite. With that said, notice what he says in verse 15. Now, brothers and sisters, you know about the household of Stephanus, that as the first converts of Achaia, they devoted themselves to ministry for who? Who did, who did they devote themselves to ministry for? The saints. First of all, I want to use this word brothers and sisters or this term brothers and sisters. I've shared this with you before. It literally means those born from the same womb. God is teaching all of us through Paul here. You realize that we as brothers and sisters in Christ are all born from the same womb. We all have the same heavenly father. And that's the way we need to look at each other. Instead of looking at each other from a distance, we need to start reminding ourselves we're part of the spiritual family of God. We are part of his body. That implies closeness that there should be with one another. That, that implies relationships. That implies connection because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. There is a bond that ties us together through Christ that is stronger than any other bond that a human being can have with one another. That's why many times Christians are closer, obviously, to one another because of the bond they have in Christ than they are their own families if their family members don't have Christ. Because that's the way God designed it. Because God says, basically, even through the Old Testament, I'm creating a new family. A new family through Christ. I hope you're part of that family. But then he commends this one household, the household of Stephanus, and notice what he says about them. They have devoted themselves to ministry for the sake of their brothers and sisters in Christ. By the way, this word devoted means to station yourself at your post. Again, a military term. Paul says, every Christian, I want you to get this in Corinth. It is important for you to know what your post is and to station yourself faithfully at your post. Not for ourselves but for the benefit of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why I say to Christians all the time, you may not think it's important for you to come to church faithfully and be a part of the church and get involved in church. And maybe you can keep that viewpoint that it's not important for you, but it's very important for your brothers and sisters in Christ. 
because we are robbed. We are deprived of what you could give us and what you offer us. If you're not around and you're not serving and you're not ministering, then we're missing out on the gifts and abilities and talents and all of that that God has given you in order to minister to the saints. God doesn't need our ministry. We understand that, right? I mean, yes, we are to serve as unto the Lord, but God doesn't need our ministry. Our ministry doesn't enhance God at all. He's perfect, always will be perfect, doesn't need anything else to make him anything. But when God calls us as his children into ministry and service, it's not for his sake. It's for our sakes. It's so that we can benefit and refresh and encourage and strengthen each other. That's why he calls us into this body to be a part of it together. So that you can benefit from what God's given me and I can benefit from what God's given you. And Paul's saying, I love the household of Stephanus because they took their post seriously and they were at their post day in, day out, week in, week out. And the people of God could count on them. They were reliable. They were dependable. They were there. And let me say this as the pastor of this church, whether you believe this or not, Just by you being here week in and week out, you encourage me. Because I know where most of you sit. Because you have your little plat, that's where you're at. And I look around, I I and and it's just, ah, they're here today. Cool. It's not a oh, they're not here, you know. I know. But you gotta understand, you're you're at your post. That's the way I look at it. Same way you should look at it. It's like you come in. On a Sunday and like, yeah, I need to take every once in a while a Sunday off during the year. But if you come in multiple times during the year and I'm not around, I mean, you should rightfully go, just not at his post. He's the pastor of this church. God's called him here. He, he should be here. That's the way all of us should feel. Stephanus wasn't the pastor of the church. His household wasn't in leadership necessarily, but they were there to be counted on. They were at their post, devoted to ministry for the saints. So then notice what he goes on to say. I urge you also to submit to people like this. Again, a military term that means to arrange yourself under. And again, folks, these weren't the leaders of the church. And yet Paul's saying, arrange yourself under people like that. The word also, though, means to be teachable and to listen to people like that. In other words, Let people like that teach us something. Listen to them. Find out, you know, what makes them tick and, and, and what kind of, you know, perspective and outlook and mindset they have because we could all learn from people like that, Paul said. That's what he's saying to the church at Corinth. He's holding up the household of Stephanus as this sort of example to emulate and saying, more of you should be like them because they are devoted to their ministry for the sake of others. And we need to be that as well. And we need to let people like that teach us and we need to listen to them. And then he goes on to say, and to everyone who cooperates in the work and labors hard. Some Christians find it very hard to be involved in a local church and minister and serve because they can't get along with anybody. One of the things we've got to learn to do and grow to do as Christians is learn how to cooperate with each other and work together. 
That's literally what the word means in the original language. It means to put forth power together. In other words, a great picture. You and I individually, there is so much power that we can put forth towards something. But sometimes we need somebody, another hand, and you get somebody else in there, that's even more power. And then you get a couple more people and pretty soon you've got even more power because we're putting forth power together. That's what God calls us to as believers. Not to be out there trying to live the Christian life and and minister and serve for the Lord all by ourselves because we can only put forth so much power on our own. God calls us to come together and be part of his body so that when we come together, we are putting forth multiple layers of power against what should be our common enemy, or at least to go after, positively, a common goal. Again, something deficient with the Corinthian church. And this is an essential of our faith, learning to cooperate and be devoted to ministry for the sake of each other. And then he goes on to say, at the end of verse 18, recognize people like this. This doesn't mean to publicly honor them, although there would be nothing wrong with publicly honoring people like that. In fact, in a sense, Paul did that with the household of Stephanus when he says, hey, these are the kind of people in your church that you should be emulating and using it as an example because of their devotion to their ministry for the sake of the saints. But the word means to become thoroughly acquainted with them. That's what the word recognize means. To become thoroughly acquainted with them. Again, find out what makes them tick. Why are they the way they are? How do they become the way they become? How have they become so devoted? Paul says, I I want you to get to know these people. Because there's something in them and about them that should catch fire throughout the whole church in Corinth. So that more of you in Corinth can be like them. That's what it means. Then he says in verse 19, the churches in the province of Asia send greetings to you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord. By the way, that word warmly means with intense emotion. I love that too because again, that's, that's words that speak of family and friendship. Here's Aquila and, and Priscilla. They're, they're physically at a distance from them. But there's an intense emotional contact and connection between them and the people in Corinth. Why? Because there's a relationship there. Why? Because they really care about each other. And then he says, greet them warmly in the Lord with the church that meets in their house. All the brothers and sisters send greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I've shared this with you before. This is a term that talks about the warmth and the affection in an appropriate way, which is why he adds holy with kiss. But it, it, it speaks about the warmth and the affection that you and I as brothers and sisters in the same spiritual family should have for one another. We truly should cherish each other, value each other, prize each other, It really does come down to how do we look at each other? And Paul says in the first chapter, I have to write this letter to you because you're looking at each other all wrong. You got your eyes on yourself. You got your eyes off of Jesus. You need to get your eyes back on Jesus. 
and get your eyes off of yourself. You need to learn to forgive each other. You need to learn to be long-fused and long-suffering with each other. You need to learn to get along with each other and stop acting so childish and start acting your age and learning to work through things and get along with each other and cooperate with each other. And folks, we can do that because we have a supernatural enablement that the world doesn't have. We have the Holy Spirit of God who lives within us. And that's why we have a capacity to be able to get along with people who are much different than we are. God doesn't ask his people to come into his church and all be the same. There is no such thing in the Bible as God calling us to uniformity. God calls us to unity, but not uniformity. God always celebrates diversity within his body. But God understands something that we need to be reminded of. That with me, I can take a bunch of diverse people and I can throw them into one body and watch them get along. Watch them be unified. Watch them love and care about each other. Watch them be able to come together and work towards something. To make the world scratch their head. And go... How does all those different people, how are they able to get along with each other for so long and be able to do all this? God. See how sad it is when Christians can't get along with each other and don't learn to cooperate with each other? Then our witness and our testimony to those who don't know God is very much diminished. Because they look at the church, whether it's local churches or just the church in general, and go, they're always fighting with each other. They can't get along with each other. Well, that's just like the way we are. We can't get along with people either. That's why I think Jesus even said to his disciples, the kind of love that I have for you is the kind of love that you should have for one another. And it's by that kind of love, that Christ-like love, that all men will know that you are my disciples. That's the love that needs to be in the church. So then he goes on and ends this letter this way. He says, I, Paul, send the greetings, this greeting with my own hand. Let anyone... Who has no love for the Lord be accursed. Our Lord come. Now this Greek phrase can also be translated our Lord has come. And I want to look at that both ways. Because it has impact both ways. If Paul meant at the end of that very strong phrase. Our Lord has come then one of the things he's saying to the Christians in Corinth and to us is this. If Christ has already come, and he's already come into our lives, if we claim that we have him in our lives, then what difference has his coming into my life really made? That would be one of the focuses of that. Has Jesus coming into my life is it making a difference, especially in the context in my relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Or am I treating them as if 
I don't even have God in my life. I don't have that supernatural capacity through the Holy Spirit or that love that God has given me through Christ to be able to love them beyond what I could do on my own. If you translate it the way it is here in the Net Bible, our Lord come, then the other impact that Paul's saying is, if we know Jesus is coming back, and we know that he is, because he promised that he would, then does that change the way I keep living my life? And again, in the context, does that change the way I begin to treat or continue to treat my brothers and sisters in Christ a certain way? Because if I know Jesus is coming back, and I know one day I'm going to have to be face-to-face with Jesus, which, by the way, the Bible teaches that, Revelation 22.4, if you're looking for one reference of that, The Bible clearly says we will be face to face with Jesus one day. Which is a glorious hope, by the way. Do I want to stand before my Jesus with hatred for my brothers and sisters in my heart? Or do I want to stand before Jesus with me and my brothers and sisters okay? I think that's why Paul wrote this in the context that he did. I think he's calling on the Corinthian Christians. If there's forgiveness that needs to be given, then give it. If there's forgiveness that needs to be asked for, then ask for it. If there's petty things that have come between some of you, then get rid of it and move on and bind yourself together as the family of God and work towards fighting the common enemy and stop fighting amongst yourselves. Put away the pettiness. Put away the childishness. Because Jesus is coming. And then he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. We're going to talk more about that next week. And then he says at the very last verse, my love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. Paul says, look, I love you, Corinth. I love you, Christians in Corinth, but... You go, boy, they're not easy to love. There's a lot there in that church and about them as, you know, Corinthian Christians that why would Paul say that? Because Paul, again, is reminding them about a quality of God-like love. And that is that it's a love of choice. It's not a love that's based on whether I feel like loving you or not. It's a love that says, I choose to love you because that's godlike love. And Paul says, it's that kind of love that I am displaying for you because I want it to lead you. That's what the words be with means here. It means literally, let the love that I have for you lead you in Corinth to start loving each other that way. You might not feel like loving each other. You might not even like each other very much, but you better learn to just choose to love each other in the Lord.
We can only make that kind of a choice when we are surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And we allow the Holy Spirit, in a sense, to love through us. That's why God could call on us to even love our enemies. When Jesus said to his own followers, you need to learn to get to a place where you love your enemies. How can I do that? Well, we can't on our own. But when you have the Holy Spirit living within you, you can. Because we have been given as Christians a capacity, an ability to live beyond ourselves. Which then testifies and witnesses to all around us that there is a God and the reality of a God in us. And that's how we can do what we can do. If we only live life at our level, then we never show other people that there's a God behind it all. But when you and I as individual Christians... And especially in the context of today's message, when you and I as corporate Christians are able to come together and, as Paul said, agree with each other and end our divisions and learn to cooperate in the work of the Lord and get along and move forward and fight the common enemy, then the world knows that there's something greater behind us than what we could ever do and be on our own. And that's what God calls us to live like. And that is an essential of being a Christian. That's just basic, indispensable, necessary stuff. We have been called to be a part of God's spiritual family. I want to go back to one thing and I'm going to close. I want to direct your attention back to verse 15 where he held up this household and said they devoted themselves to ministry for the saints. If you take nothing else away from the message today or the passage today, please take that away. What is the post that God wants me to be at? What role, what, what part does God want me to play in his body? And if God wants me to play a part in his body, then am I faithfully at my post? Can people, other Christians, believers in Christ, count on me to do what God's called me to do so that they can benefit? Because we're going to close today with the song, Take My Life and Let It Be. And most of the time when we sing that song, it's about us you know, dedicating ourselves to the Lord. But today, I want us to take that a step further. Yes, we dedicate ourselves to the Lord, but we do so for the saints. Because the ministry and the service and the role and the part that God calls all of us to play in His body, again, isn't for God's benefit. It's for our brothers and sisters in Christ's benefit. It's so they can be blessed. And they can be encouraged. And they can be strengthened by who God has called us to be. Let's pray. God, again, I just want to thank you as the pastor of this church for such an incredible group of people. A people who have grown to truly love and care about each other.
and minister and serve one another. But God, we know that that can always go away quickly. And it can always continue to grow as more and more people come and and become a part of this spiritual family here we call the Oasis. And I pray, God, that each of us today have been challenged by this passage of Scripture. All of us need to be reminded that we are to be devoted to our ministries and to what you've called us to and who you've called us to be for the sake of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to be faithful to our post, just as the household of Stephanas. Take our lives, Lord. Use us, not only to bring glory ultimately to you, because you're behind it all, but use us, God, to refresh, replenish, strengthen, encourage, build up our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.